Blog Talk Radio. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. So today, we have a, uh, a uh, guest that is going to talk to us a little bit about um, a, something that is, has been in the news and and on a number of blogs, and people are talking about it, particularly in education circles, but also in a number of, of political circles, uh, the 1619 Project. And so um, we have uh, Mr. Uh, Zed uh, Jelani, who is, is a, um, a freelance um, writer and reporter. He's um, been, um, he's written and, and appeared quoted on CNN, ABC, all over. Um, and so he writes about current affairs and politics. And so this, uh, actually, this project uh, crept into the, the political science realm. So, uh, Zed, welcome. Glad to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here, Brian. Um, and we, you know, this, for a, a lot of the audience, uh, as I, I mentioned to you um, offline, that um, most of my audience is made up of of educators and and people in the uh, public school sector, people from charter schools and and school board members and leaders all throughout um, the nation. And we have a number of people even from from overseas that listen in uh, every week to this uh, this broadcast. And and so. I know that you you had a a critique in New York that appeared in New York Times Magazine about the um, uh, sixteen nineteen project, and and you actually talked a bit about the historical accuracy of some of the key components of the project. Um, I, I mentioned to you, and just as a reminder, maybe some of you are just joining in for the first time this week that over the last three weeks, uh, culminating with today, we've, we've taken a look at some American history debate, if you will. Uh, we started two weeks ago with the uh, professor from uh, University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana who talked a bit about the 1776 commission. Um, and then last week, we had the executive director from the American Historical Association that really talked about um, how history um, from their organization's perspective should be framed. And now we have Zed with us, who uh, knows quite a bit about the 1619 Project uh, specifically, and want to hear from you, Zed, um, just a little bit about, um, I guess, kind of as a first take, um, I know that this has been important for you 
an important aspect of what you've been writing about recently. Uh, Tell us a little bit about um, specifically what interested you most about the 1619 Project that made you uh, kind of jump into the fray um, uh, about it. Yeah, so actually, you know, I I grew up even in the United States in a place I think that was very much enmeshed in the themes that are covered uh, in the history that's covered by the project. So, you know, I grew up outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I, you know, was raised uh, deeply, I think, in civil rights history or something that was taught to us in the 90s in school. You know, I go to speeches by Reverend Joseph Lowry, by uh, former Ambassador Andrew Young. Uh, I would uh, meet people, of course, who had grown up in that historical period. And I think, you know, it's something that, to me, we can't really, you know, talk about American history without talking about both the civil rights movement, of course, the Jim Crow era, Reconstruction after the Civil War, the Civil War, and, of course, the institution of uh, uh, slavery as it was practiced in the United States, both before the founding and after the founding up, up through the Civil War. Uh, I think these are key components of American history. They describe much of, I think, the regional diversity of the country, the continued inequality of the country. And I think it is important for people to learn about these key periods in American history. Um, And that's, I think, why I was interested in seeing this project developed by the New Mm -hmm. York Times, because I was interested in seeing what they were presenting about these periods in history, in American history, and, and what was sort of different from maybe some of the other ways that they've traditionally been presented in that way. Um, and so I, you know, I think that from my vantage point, there's absolutely nothing wrong with people being interested in this history and wanting to teach much more of it in schools, wanting to share much more of it in the, in the communities, also to, of course, deliver oral history, because we still have people in this country who, by the way, are born and raised under a Jim Crow system, and I think have very important things to say about it. Um, but I do think that some of the ways that it was framed within this project and also just some, some of the, the explanations for some social phenomena and history that it offered, uh, you know, they just weren't, they, they kind of missed the mark. I think they were inaccurate in a few places. And there have been, I'm not a trained historian, of course, but there have been historians, Sean Lentz is one of them, and there have been a range sure, of others sure. who have spoken about, I think, some of, some of the, the issues with the underlying project and the way the facts were presented. I don't, mm-hmm. that isn't, me saying that there's nothing valuable here. I do think there is. Um, there are certain components of it, I think, that do present, I think, a concise sort of overview of topics uh, that could be useful to read. Uh, but I also think, one, it does get some things wrong. And two, I think it also omits a lot of important information that I would want to teach people if I'm teaching people about the history of uh, you know, institutions of slavery in the United States and also for, uh, consistent and persistent racism. So. Sure, sure. Now, I've read a number of the op-eds that you've written um, on the topic, so I think I know the answer to this question, but uh, tell me, what do you think the the kind of the the thing that that you would say that they, uh, or maybe I won't limit it to the one thing or the most important thing, but something that you think they got wrong um, that Mm -hmm. was important to you? Yeah, I mean, I think that the so the the opening essay of the 1619 project it was authored by Nicole Hannah Jones who's been with New York Times for some number of years uh, she largely covers issues like school segregation in New York City but she also covers other related issues you know the opening essay was the one that was awarded the Pulitzer Prize so you know it was elevated and celebrated 
And, you know, there, there were a number of claims made in the essay, I think, that became very contentious, and I don't think are really supportable by the facts. Um, the very, actually, the very first line of the first essay has become contentious because it describes 1619 as the year when the first um, slaves arrived on American soil. Uh, a number of historians have contested that. You know, they have laid out that those people were bonded, right? Uh, they weren't. They were somewhere maybe in between indentured servants and slaves because the institution of American slavery actually was codified uh, later in the 1600s. By the early by the early 1700s, it was well and firm, but they had actually codified it through a system of laws that mm-hmm. were uh, placed in the 17th century, right? And that 1619, those laws weren't in place yet, so those people were in a bonded status, right? Meaning that they weren't sort of lifelong slaves. Um, but, mm-hmm. the, of course, the situations and conditions that they were living in were very similar to slaves. Um, sure. But the actual institution of slavery had not been set up as we think of it today at that point. And I think that that's actually an important distinction because, in my eyes, it's very important for people to understand how that institution was set up, how it was perpetuated, and sort of the, the long-term ramifications and effects of it. And I think when we make kind of errors like that, we kind of, we kind of blur the history a little bit. And I think the, sure. the most contentious claim in that essay – that drive was that the main reason that the colonists in the United States decided to break off from Britain, which was their ruler, um, was because they feared that Britain was going to eliminate the system of slavery. Now, Sean Lentz, actually, and he wrote an Atlantic Magazine article about this. He did probably the best thorough uh, point-by-point fact-check of that claim, but it just there really isn't a lot of evidence to suggest that, right? right. right. There, were, mm-hmm. there was some rumbling in Great Britain that they were going to move against slavery, but most of the colonists really had no idea about that. Uh, the, the founding fathers, the people who established the country, didn't. nowhere did they write that they had this fear. Nowhere in our founding documents are they saying this is our, our main or even a secondary reason for breaking off from, from the king. Uh, you know, the, the claim just isn't supportable, and they themselves, I think, realized that at a certain point because they clarified it later. They said it was one of the reasons. Now, really, I wouldn't even say it was one of the reasons because, like I said, I don't think the main, any of the main uh, figures who are leading the revolution even mentioned that as a potential reason for, for the revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they themselves, I think, did sort of understand that they were overstating it. Um, sure. Another claim in, within that opening essay, I wrote a whole article about this one for the American Conservative, uh, was that Hannah Jones says, uh, that the civil rights movement was the main reason we had the immigration reforms in the 1960s. Uh, she suggests this because, you know, there are some Asian Americans who don't like certain policies in college admissions around, around racial preferences, and she suggests it's ironic because, you know, without the civil rights movement, those people wouldn't have been in the country. Now, this was somewhat personal to me because my parents actually came to the United States after those reforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I do agree with it. Those are very important reforms. And the civil rights movement probably played a small part in that because they did activate Americans' consciences. Uh, sure, they made them sure. think much more about human rights and civil rights. But actually, the movement for immigration reform in the 1960s was led primarily by Eastern Europeans, by people from mm-hmm. like, uh, who mm-hmm. were descended from Italy, Poland, Hungary, Greece, a lot of Jewish Americans, and, of course, Asian Americans. There were some Asian Americans in the country at that point, not nearly as many as now, but they were the bulk of the movement. It wasn't really one of the goals of the civil rights movement. It wasn't SNCC or SCLC or King or Young or Lewis who were pushing. It was actually a separate movement. And I feel like she didn't include, by not including that history, you know, it did a little bit of a disservice. It kind of oversimplified the story a little bit, um, and which I think is my, my kind of larger issue with, with the project. It's not that everything in it's wrong. I think it actually has a lot of really good history. Um, but I think they just, 
they skimmed over certain parts of history, and I think some of the conclusions they came to were just a little bit too oversimplified uh, in ways that might be a little misleading. And I think sure. that's sort of the issue with trying to frame American history simply through one lens or one kind of ideological agenda, because it's actually very, you know, it's a huge history. We're, we're a relatively new country, but we have so many dynamic forces in our country mm-hmm. that created things like mm-hmm. the revolution or created things like the 1965 uh, immigration reform law. So I think, you know, or, or 96. So I think it's very, very important to get that complex complexity and that nuance in American history sure. that, you know, I think something like the 1619 project can supplement that for you, but I think you have to read a lot. You know, I, I wouldn't want anyone just to get their history only from this source. I'd want them to supplement it with a lot of other things just because it's too much. It, honestly, it's too much to summarize in one place in one series anyway, right? Like oh, it's just, sure, sure. even if they did the best job and they made zero errors, I think it would have been too much to summarize in one series. So no, I I, I would agree with that. I think it is a it's a really big bite um, out of kind of a um, a large historical, very complicated as you have you have mentioned. Um, uh, context. It's very complicated. I, I you know, I, I do wonder, though, um, as you think about, you know, uh, Hannah Jones uh, has is not a historian, um, but um, had may have made this contribution and taken some creative license um, just in that it is a project. And it just makes me wonder was it originally framed as a historical project or was it something else? Was it some what of a hybrid initiative? And I know they, they describe it as an ongoing initiative, but that maybe there are more installments to come more thinking about it more, you know, like to give shape to this. But I just wonder if there were, if that this was, something because they they use fiction in some places that it that it took on a life of its own where i also heard people say things like this should be taught as the history and i i, I just wonder is it your opinion that they intended for it to be taken as a historical framework i mean i, I guess you know, for 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 the teaching of U.S. history, even is, is it your opinion that they that's that was their intent? You know, it's a really good question because I think they had at times had made a number of statements that could go either way. You know, I think when when they originally launched this project, they did kind of say they were reframing a history, uh, mm-hmm. but later I think Hannah Jones came out and said we don't intend for this to be like a you know a history of the country. Right. It's more like you know. Because because it strikes me if you read through it like it's you know it's a mix of polemics it's a mix of kind of like opinion journalism uh, I don't you know I don't know that they it feels like they are that they were basically trying to take historical events and use them to frame an argument about the country mm-hmm. right that mm-hmm. that the institution of slavery is set in uh, set in you know it's set in motion a series of events that have framed all kinds of outcomes in, in the country, mm-hmm. uh, ranging from wealth and income inequality to health care to segregation to so on and so forth. And so this is us making our argument about that rather than, you know, this is a comprehensive history of how, you know, the United States was formed and, and the, the social and economic outcomes of the United States. 
that's when I when I read over it, that's what I think of more. More than thinking that it's like them trying to write a truncated history of the United States, right. or even just a truncated history of like the African American experience in the United States. I don't think it's really even that either. I think it really is focusing on, uh, you know, the institution of slavery, the uh, long-held effects of that, and the kind of, you know, I think an argument that Hannah Jones, because she wrote, she writes a follow-up to the 1619 Project, which was a case for reparations, which. Of course, Tanya so famously did that several years ago, but I think for her, this was sort of uh, in the same, roughly the same ideological camp or space because it's a really serious 1619 project, and they really do feel like this institution of slavery set up so much in American past, present, and future uh, sure. that maybe they would be sympathetic to, to the case of reparations. So I think she, I think she as the, the progenitor of this project, has a certain ideological point of view that she wanted to sort of utilize portions of American history to project um, more so than she was trying to, I think, write a comprehensive history uh, of the country or, or even of the experience of one people. So. Sure, sure. And, you know, there have been so many stories um, that have been told from a Western European perspective. You know, if you think about mm-hmm. historically that I know I, I'll speak for my own uh, orientation to American history about whether it is Christopher Columbus or any of the other um, explorers right. um, that they were exploring what from from their perspective. You know, I I I don't dare say that they discovered anything when there were people already um, here and and all the other places where they were. But from their perspective, they were exploring out from Western Europe to the right. rest of the world, right? And, and places that they, had, that they hadn't been. But um, so much of what we have, we have learned and have been told in, in at least in this country about uh, American history is told from that perspective. And so, so, so it's like now there is, let's add another viewpoint from mm-hmm. to this to this uh, this overall picture, um, let's you know see a different um, way of experiencing even American history. Um, I have previously talked about on on my show. Um, you know, I broadcast from New Orleans, and and there is a, um, a plantation here that I and there are a few that that are attempting to do this, but one that does it exceptionally well um, is the Whitney plantation. And and I just think everyone who is at all interested in a different perspective um, should visit the Whitney plantation here because what they add now, they leave out a lot of the story about plantation life, but what is added to the picture that hasn't been told before is the life, the suffering, the success of the slave. And so it's almost as if, look, you've heard enough about everybody else in this, in this scenario. We're going to present, it's not the whole picture. And so in some ways, unapologetically, I I just kind of feel like that is the, the goal of the, of the project um, is mm-hmm. that they're saying, you know, you, you've learned a lot about what other people have done and their contribution. 
And here's another way to think about it, and maybe even some challenges like what you're what you're putting forward um, as um, that a lot of times people like to establish causal relationship. You know, without the civil rights movement, there would be no A or B or C. And so mm-hmm. we all know that it's usually more complicated than that. However, right. I think I think it is that push that causes people to consider the contribution at all. You know, there are a lot mm-hmm. of people that don't consider. I mean, you acknowledge yourself. You said, I'm sure it played a role. It just may not mm-hmm. have it may have been overstated in this uh, in in the project itself may have been overstated. Um, and so I think it gets to be a little dangerous to, you know, make these whole scale assertions about why something happened or didn't happen, especially in sure. a historical context of too many things. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more with what you were saying. I think I've actually been, cause I, I have some family in Louisiana, so I think I've been to the Whitney plantation and I, and I really do, appreciate what they did um i think you know i grew up in the south and i i understand that you know there are people who had ancestors who settled that land and they they should be allowed to tell their story and their narrative i'm not saying they shouldn't be allowed to but there's also a story and narrative you never hear you know Mm -hmm. i had a friend who was telling me about how there were people bonded you know chinese people in louisiana i don't know how many people know that they were bonded you know that's right asian american chinese people who built so much of what was happening there. I didn't know about that until a few years ago, you know, cause nobody mm-hmm. ever told me about it. And I'm not, again, I don't think it's a zero sum game. I don't think it's, you know, okay, we shouldn't hear anything more about Europeans or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But we should also hear the story of these other people, right? They're, those were people who came and lived and settled and, you know, and sometimes in very terrible conditions. And it's important to have their story if you want the full picture, because the full picture is never just one person's perspective or one person's narrative. And I think you're absolutely right. I would say up until 50 or 60 years ago, we never even heard anyone else's narrative other than Europeans, right? That was, that was mm-hmm. 100% of the picture. Slowly, mm-hmm. I think it's coming in. We're getting more and more of the picture from more and more perspectives, and I think that's extremely valuable to have. Um, and so I think in, that, in terms of that ideological thrust, I'm absolutely with you. Mm-hmm. I think we need to see much, much more of that. But, you know, in some, in some cases, I think the 1619 Project, you know, it fell a little bit short of that goal. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, like I like I told you, I grew up around Atlanta, and they had like, for instance, they have an article about Atlanta, about uh, residential sites, about why the highways are terrible in Atlanta, and they, you know, they point out that part of the reason for that was that there was historic segregation, there was racism, and people didn't want transit built. And actually, anyone who grows up around Atlanta knows that, like, it's a super well-known fact, right? But mm-hmm. I think you know, if I had written that article, it would have been a little bit more interesting to look at the last 50 or 60 years of Atlanta because sure. the last 50 or 60 years of Atlanta, you know, it's largely liberal Democrats who run that entire area. And mm-hmm. what you'll see is when they have transit votes, a lot of people from minority backgrounds also are opposed to it. They don't want to pay the extra taxes. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that what they were writing in the article was wrong. I just wish it had dove more deeper into what's been happening more recently because we still have a huge problem with <laughs> the traffic is the worst anywhere in the country in Atlanta. Sure, I can tell sure. you I haven't grown up there. And I would have, you know, I would have been more interested in seeing some of the contemporary dynamics too. So again, you know, I'm not, a, I'm really not opposed to anyone talking about this history, particularly history that, you know, we until very recently didn't talk about at all, but I want as full and as rich a picture as possible of these problems, particularly the ones that are still happening today. Um, just because, you know, I, another example, the 1619 Project wrote an article about the uh, wealth gap, talked a lot mm-hmm. about redlining. I think that's a very serious issue, and it's, of course, has 
long-term effects as do the, some of the, the federal the federal responses like the Community Reinvestment Act. But in the entire article about the wealth gap, it never talks about the Great Recession. The mm-hmm. Great Recession involved a massive, a massive destruction of wealth, particularly among a lot of low-income African-American people, particularly in the American South, because the American South, the idea was everyone should own a home, right? That was, uh, yeah. land is cheap, go buy yourself a house. They never even mentioned the Great Recession. And I was just thinking to myself, if you really want to explain this to people, they got to go, okay, you can read this article. It's a good article. But after that, you got to go read, the, read an article about the Great Recession, what happened with the, with the uh, subprime mortgage crisis, what happened with all these sure. people who were ripped off by the banks. Because, yeah. you know, I, I just I, – I think maybe, maybe, maybe at, the end, at the end of the day, what I'm telling people is just read as much as possible, right? Right, Don't ever right. think you read one article and you got the whole thing. you got to get out there right. and read more and more and more. Um, and that's how you really understand these issues. And so, you know, even when I'm, even when I'm criticizing the project, it's not that I'm saying everything in the project is wrong. Actually, there's a lot of good stuff in it. I'm just saying there's more of the story in certain parts, including some parts of the story, which I don't think even the, you know, you and I were just talking about how we think, you know, European Americans controlled much of the history of this country for a very long time. I don't think either side wants to talk about what happened with the Great Recession and the banks because everyone was in on it, right? Right. All the politicians on both sides were in on it. Banks were in on it. You know, right. nobody's talking about that. We all just want to pretend, okay, that happened, it's over. But no, it has, it has unfortunately, uh, effects we're going to be dealing with for a very long time because so many oh, people have their, their whole life, life savings wiped out. So, yeah, right. so that's, I guess that's what I would say. I just want people to get out there. Just hoover up information. I mean, it's important to get as much of it as you can because that, that's the right. way we get the uh, – the healthy, educated citizenry that can tackle these problems. So, right, right, and you know, um, you know, the, you you mentioning the Great Recession is is a big piece. Um, I thought about also, uh, the, and I know it, it. They could not certainly exhaust all the topics, and that's why you know I, I'll be the first to say that. I mean, that's a it's a really big bite and ambitious. Uh, to try to take mm-hmm. on as much as uh, as they tried to take on, um, but you know, not to spend much time talking about you know the New Deal, so to speak, that left ninety percent right. of of African Americans without. You know, I, it's always surprising mm-hmm. when I mention to um, people who are well informed people and people who have been in politics or historians even um, that the devil is in the detail. Just like in the New Deal, um, there were there were two exceptions to people who would be covered, who would be given that kind of safety net in the New Deal um, of Social Security. And and they are so surprised when I mentioned there were two categories, and those were people who were in agriculture and who were classified mm-hmm. as domestics. So it, at, it, at the time of the New Deal, where were 90% of African Americans employed? In those two places. You know, so they right. weren't covered by and large. And those, that, too, historically had a lot of impact about where we are today, right? So the, the, that safety net wasn't there for a large segment of our population. Um, you know, before we, we run out of time, I would like to know, uh, from your perspective, what's something you think um, was, you know, kind of where they, they nailed it from your perspective? Like this was this here really uh, captures uh, a really salient aspect of the history that they attempted to expose. Yeah, I mean, I think they did do a decent job just de- depicting 
uh, you know, the institution of slavery and, and it, as it was running, as it was operating, the, the amount of kind of sheer economic output it was, uh, it was outputting, the, 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 the actual conditions, I think, that, that people were subjected to within that. Uh, it, it is, I think, you know, and, and like you said, like you were, you, were, you were speaking before, I think the best thing people should do is go to, go to a place like the Whitney Plantation does, I think, belabored itself. To, to demonstrate to people, not only do you see that big fancy house, the Frenchman or whoever owned that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a nice house and everything, but you also see that they recreate the shacks that, you know, I don't know, eight or 10 people were forced to live in, right? That's right. Uh, but through, through force of violence, and you see that. And to me, that, that, is really the, that is really the story. You know, that is understanding something like that. People like us living in the first world in the United States will never, you know, it's hard to imagine. It can be an out of sight, out of mind thing, but there are people like that who still here in the world, you know, maybe living in maybe a migrant workers in Qatar or, you know, in, in different parts of the world that have to live like that, right? There's still yeah. this uh, kind of an institution of modern slavery. It's not exactly the same as what was happening then, but it's fairly sure. similar. And so I, sure. you know, I want people to, to understand that. And I am glad that they are highlighting things like that in the 1619 project. And I am glad that, other people are making the same effort uh, to do that as well. Sure. And, and I, I would love to, so what's, what's your advice to the social studies history teacher who says, I'd like to use some aspect of this. Is it safe to, to, to use the 1619 project, in in what I'm teaching, um, should I should I do some research? Are there aspects of this that are are important enough for us to include in what we are presenting as a historical perspective in American schools? Yeah, I mean, I think it might be interesting to use it as a uh, touching off point for contemporary debates. For instance, mm-hmm. I think having people read the Nicole Hannah Jones portion about reparations would be really interesting because that's a Mm -hmm. kind of a rising and interesting debate. I do think as we discussed earlier, it's not really a history curriculum. It's not really like it's not intended really to be a history textbook. So I wouldn't use it for that purpose, but I'm not using it to touch off a debate. And by the way, well, while we have the time, the best book about some of the topics that, that are covered in 1619 project that, you know, I I really wish they had gone to these two uh, talented women because they did such a good job. Karen and Barbara Fields wrote a book mm-hmm. called Racecraft, The Soul of Inequality right. in American Life. It has a wonderful book. And, you know, I, I, I think the fact that they be labor and they, t- they take so much time to, to explain, because, you know, this, it's much easier to get this in a thick book than it is in a, in a series of newspaper articles, but they take so much time to really explain where the concept of American racial classification came from, right? why they set this up, how it was used to rationalize slavery, how it persisted, and how it continues to persist today through the way that we are all doing, you know, quote-unquote racecraft, which is, you know, race is not an actual fact of life, but we, we breathe life into it by the way that we discriminate against people, by the way we don't treat people well, by the way that we, we create these categories and reinforce them through our various actions. And I think Karen and Barbara Fields did a very, very good job of Absolutely. that in that book. Yeah. And, and that's one thing, you know, I wish we would see more in the popular press is really explain to people how this thing came together in the 17th and 18th centuries and how this thinking, you know, colonized the minds of Americans and how actually we can get out of it. It's not these categories, 
don't have to have permanent control over our country. They don't have to continue to divide us. And they, we don't have to have so much inequality in this country. You know, we have overcome things like this in the past uh, and uh, across the world history. You do see, uh, you know, patterns of inequality get less bad. You do see less discrimination, prejudice, less racism. And I think it's very, very possible if we educate ourselves and really understand where these things come from. And also we, we understand the potential of where we can go. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, and I think if nothing else, um, what I, what I can appreciate about it raising the consciousness of people to look and say, what is it about this? What is, you know, what, I mean, 1619, there were a lot of people didn't know what the, when they saw that, what that was about. Um, and so I think, um, just raising the awareness of of that perspective and and causing in some places causing a critical debate about it, um, but in other places, unfortunately, just having people shut down and say you can't mm-hmm. you can't talk about it, you can't spend any money on it. Um, um, so you know, unfortunately, that has been where it went. Um, uh, since then, but I, um, I'll continue to listen uh, to and listen for more installments as they they talk about this, as they saying that it it is a uh, is something that there is going to be ongoing, and so I'm looking for that. Maybe uh, given the the critiques that have been offered by you and others, they will uh, enlist the the help of more history scholars, more um, people who have, have spent longer periods of time looking at the, the facts, so to speak, and, and it'll, it'll get even better. So um, thank you. Yeah. And thank you so much um, for, for your perspective. Uh, those of you listening, we have uh, Zay Jelani, um, who um, we've just had a great conversation about um, 1619 project. And, and um, if, if you want to follow him, he has a substack um, at inquiremore.com, and he writes about current affairs and politics and, and, and some of the intersections of sociology and, and others. And so thank you, Zed, for, for coming on today. Uh, next week, um, we have um, also continuing um, in, in the same vein of the conversation, shifting just a little bit to talk about critical race theory. You know, that's something that is in, in the news right now, um, what it is, what is a lot of uh, controversy, also something that people are saying don't teach, you can't teach in our, um, in our schools. Uh, we have Dr. Gemma Cordona, who's going to join us next week to talk about um, critical race theory and uh, just keep us informed about what, what's happening. So, um, Zed, thank you again for, um, for joining us, um, and we really appreciate you, you coming aboard. Um, so to our listeners, um, till next time, go well, stay well. <laughs>